Welcome to the show. This is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm Pat Burns. We are super excited again this week to bring you a new episode. We um, finally, I think we're, we're getting out of just our own wheelhouse. We've done a bunch of language stuff because Pat and I are both English teachers. We finally um, were able to, to wrangle a um, computer scientist into this episode. And today, with, today we have Josh Schmidt from the Chicago area with us. He, he's a computer science teacher and a first robotics mentor. You taught physics before, and before that, you were you were one of the many teachers that had a career before uh, being becoming an educator. I think I think oftentimes people think that people start in teaching and end in teaching, but sometimes they come in from the professional world. But prior to the, prior to teaching, you were a software engineer. I, I think I think if I if I say comp sci, does it make me cooler? Or is that just like a dated expression? Because I, I always felt like in college, people were like, "Oh, I'm comp sci," and it sounded pretty cool. Is that true, Jeff, or do you prefer computer science? Sounds great. Comp Sci. All right. This is the Comp Sci show for the Bot Brothers, which totally fits with our bot stuff. Right. So first of all, what, what is first robotics? Like what what is that? You said so first, first robotics. robotics. Yeah. So it's a worldwide program um, for students uh, K through 12. Um, there's different levels for different age groups. Um, and the the mission of first is to really change the culture to to recognize and celebrate and to get students excited about STEM. Um, and so it's very much a project-based, challenge-based program, uh, which is a little bit different than, than a lot of classroom things. Um, many teams are associated with schools, but they don't have to be. There's lots of community teams as well. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for students to develop not just technical skills, but also leadership skills and business skills and, and collaboration skills. Well, is that, so, is that what, Go ahead, Pat. Right, so you've got a, uh, I understand that you've got a pretty decent size uh, team that you've amassed or, or compiled that over the years. And can you talk to us a little bit about just the, the size and kind of what you've done with what, what the group's been able to do? Yeah, so um, we had a, a district-wide team for high school. We compete in the first robotics competition, the, the um, oldest group uh, in the first program. And uh, we now have over 120 members. Um, wow. Some, some are more active than others, um, but that's actually part of, of our values. We want to, to have this be an opportunity for everyone. And if you can be there uh, during our busy season, 24 hours a week, that's great. And if you can be there just a few hours a week because of other commitments, that's you still get to uh, have an experience you might not otherwise. Um, and so we're in our 15th year um, and wow. I managed to qualify for the world championship the past two years. Um, not so much for our robot, which is competitive, um, but more for the impact we've had on the the community in terms wow. of um, spreading STEM. That's fantastic. Oh. Um, so you went to the like the World Series of Robotics? Is that, is that basically? Yeah. Okay. Was that was that recorded anywhere? Like, is there a link or something? Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's the everything's recorded. Okay. So where where was it held this year? In case people want to like look it up. Uh, Houston, Texas. And, Houston, so Texas. Houston, Texas. The first championship so. has been held in Houston for the the past few years. Right. Maybe we'll, we'll put some maybe some links or something in, the, in uh, the notes or something like that. So if people want to check it out, it's maybe not a bad idea. That's exactly what I was going to say. Good cool. job. Let's get into large language models. Um, so so for us, you know, in November, the the um, non-programming world, I think I think all of a sudden was like, whoa, there's this AI stuff. And so I think there's like it's kind of like been like a giant world freak out. Like if you look at the papers, or and I was wondering from the, the comp side perspective for you guys is it a is it a world freak out or is it a big yawn 
Um, I don't want to speak for the entire computer science teacher community, but we're um, asking but... you to. <laughs> you are speaking for all. <laughs> but it, it's certainly been been discussed and talked about. Um, I don't. I don't think it's my perception is it hasn't been as big of a freak out as um, you might see in some other areas. Um, and I think that's uh, because it's it's certainly impressive, but it's it's similar to things we've seen before in computer science. Um, and so that might make us a little more comfortable with it, perhaps, or or less what, um, what, what, have what a less of an initial reaction. What what comes to mind when you're saying that's kind of similar to things you've seen before that people may not most teachers maybe not have that perspective or that kind of experience. Yeah, I, I guess you know computer science. Um, is a relatively new discipline compared to most disciplines in the world. Um, right. And so even, you know, when, when I was a kid interested in programming, uh, if you want to try to game, you had to do it in assembly language, like very low level programming, um, because that's just all the tools you had back then. Um, now, you know, no computer science educators can expect their students to write computer games and, you know, assembly language. You're, you're going to be using the latest tools and the latest frameworks. Um, and, and because all those abstractions help you focus on the creative aspect of, of, of producing something that, that people want, you know, so creating an engaging game and storyline, um, as opposed to, uh, the tedious part of, of getting the code to work. So, you know, we, we've had Grace Hopper invented the concept of a programming language, you know, many years ago, and, and now we have compilers that make that easier and frameworks that make that easier. And so some of these large language models applied to, to programming, um, certainly impressive, very impressive. Um, but kind of the, the next step along that process of, of removing um, some of the tedium, I guess, from, from programming. Okay, let me, let me go back and ask like 50,000 questions. Okay, because <laughs> like you said language and I'm like, okay, I understand language. And you said, well, assembly language, like we used to have to write assembly language. And I'm like, what, what is that? And then you said, but then no, we don't have to do that because we have these frameworks. And so the, apparently you have, a, you have languages, you have frameworks, and then you have something else, and which, which seems like a trajectory of, of progression. But like, what, what can you kind of define those? Yeah, sure. So I would say like the, the assembly languages, think of it as like a single instruction a computer can execute. So down to the fundamental level of like, add these two things together and store the results somewhere. Um, or copy this value from one place to another place in the computer's memory, like super, super low level. Um, and so you can imagine building all that stuff up to do something useful takes, takes a lot of work. Um, so we rarely do that anymore. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have higher level languages, ways to express what we want the computer to do that's a lot more efficient. Um, the, the framework idea is, um, there are certain things that in libraries and frameworks that, that we just need all the time. Like I need to store a list of things, right? Well, I shouldn't have to write the code to make a list over and over again because you know, millions of people need that too. And so someone good could write that once and then we can all use it. Um, or when it comes to writing a, an app, you know, for the computer, you're gonna need a, you need a, a window, you need a menu, you need a button. You know, we don't need to write all that stuff from scratch. We can use a framework that has all those building blocks and then we can focus on putting those together in, in a unique way. Um, so it's just higher levels of abstraction to, to help us express what we're trying to do. When, so when you say higher level abstractions, that means you're, you've gotten away from the, the base level 
like is that how you use it abstraction like not like abstract like it's conceptual but it's more like you, you can actually just grab the menu or the window the code and it creates it and that's called an abstraction yeah exactly so i don't i'm if i'm if i'm trying to make you know a social media app i don't need to focus on all the things that have to happen behind the scenes so that when i click on that little like icon um it lights up and the number goes up and some message is sent somewhere um a lot of those details can be handled for me. So, uh, so that this but, sounds. I've been having this conversation with Pat. Um, so, when when you think of assembly language, it, it sounds like you're you're down to like the very 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 like minute minutia details, right? Uh, for us that that teach writing and, and English and language, like those like those little tiny minute details are like letters, and words, and then phrases and sentences. Right. And then and then so I'm thinking about so so it, so for us, what's happening with AI, it seems like is that low level stuff is kind of is being created for us, like almost like we can call the library of whatever. If that's what you do, if you do a call in, in CompSci that, that that you call the library or the, the, the framework, whatever, is it certainly seems to me the direction that the, the writing is headed in is that you're going to get a prompt box and it's just going to kind of like, well, here's the, here's the stuff that you need. Like you, you need to do this type of letter. Like you want to do a like button on your app, then you need this, right? You need to do an email, then this is what it looks like, right? And I guess maybe a low level version of that would have been a word processor when you want to make a bullet list. Like you just hit the button and it just does it for you, right? Because that's a little... Yeah. So we've already been doing it. But now it just seems like almost like the low level, like actual language stuff, we're not going to have to do. And yeah, we don't think twice about like the spell checker or students use Grammarly, right? Those are, you know, chat GPT is a little bit different than that. But, you know, they're, they're similar tools in that progression. Okay. Wow. All right. So, I mean, I, I keep on thinking about like, well, <clears throat> the people that are, are creating uh, like OpenAI and all the other large language models are primarily computer science people right so they think like that right and the person the, the, the thinking like th that's what creates the world sometimes because if you can if you can shape the world into your thinking so if if, if the, the computer scientists are creating the programs that everyone uses they're shaping the thinking of everybody yes y yeah and 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 hopefully i i hope that open AI employs a wide variety of people with different backgrounds. Um, if they're going to pull this off in, in a way that ends up helping everybody in the long term, um, I don't think computer scientists have a great track record with that. And so hopefully they bring in, you know, um, everything from like linguists to ethicists to, uh, you know, more, I don't know, global perspectives um, to, to figure out how best to use these tools. So. What would you say their track record is? Like any examples for a poor track yeah. record? Or? Well, um, one of the things we focus on in, in our classes is making sure that students are aware um, of the ethics that go with computer science um, and with programming and realize that when, when they're writing software, um, they, they need to actually stop and think about how that's going to be used and who it's going to help and who's going to hurt and what assumptions are being made. Um, and that can help. That can happen with very simple software, um, to more as well as to more complicated algorithms. Um, 
how are those algorithms written? What are what biases become embedded in them? Because people create them and people end up embedding their bias biases. Um, and then I guess to connect it to large language models, um, when you start training these systems, like these machine learning systems, um, what, what are the inputs, right? What's the training set? Right. Um, what, what, what biases and assumptions are built into those and how does that affect people? So. Pat, you look like you have a question. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around, I think, a variety of things you're saying. And and because uh, it seems like Max, Mike's tracking things really well. And part of me is like, am I understanding what's going on in this conversation? Uh, um, and I'm hoping that there are people in the audience who are like, yeah, Pat, I hear you. Like, I don't know what's happening either. <laughs> uh, but I, I think one thing that that kind of crossed my mind as you're kind of describing these systems that, that you've got kind of like these low-level tasks that essentially you don't have to like recreate the wheel all the time. So you just, so we're not going to try to like make students do that. Um, and that's all fine. Well, I get that. But then this idea of ethics, I think is really compelling because I think that cuts across pretty much every discipline um, in, in every you know field, whether you're talking about education or you know, business or, or medicine, or you know, even gone down the line of law, et cetera. Uh, when we're talking about ethics, I, I think, you know, I've read articles recently about how I think we, I think it was Microsoft. I don't want to misspeak, but I'm pretty sure it was Microsoft and maybe some other company, the company that's saying, we're just going to get rid of our, of our ethics boards or, or, or entities or what have you as they're developing this stuff. And, and my first thought was like, well, gosh, that tells me exactly where they seem to be, which is that they don't want to think about it. Um, and that's worrisome, not just simply as an educator, but just as a human, uh, you know, to what extent to your point that, that you know, so you're trying to train your students to be thoughtful and, and ethical, which I think is great and wonderful and the way it should be in a classroom. But, um, you know, for companies, I mean, there's, there's very few that seem to be holding them accountable. Um, and so I, I, I guess, I'm, I, I guess my question, I suppose, is, you know, to what extent is it, uh, I, I guess, where, where's the teacher's place in this, which is to say, do we, just continue to say, you know, we can try to manage things in our classroom and that's all that we can do. Or is there more to it than that? Or, or should we be more actively advocating for these companies to be ethical? Um, or, or do you have any thoughts in, the, in those, in, I guess, along those lines? I think, I think that's a little bit tricky. Uh, and I think it varies upon the class and, and, and the students and like the age group, I guess, within that class. Like in our introduction to programming class, we just want them to be aware that these things even exist. Some of these students just have no idea and no exposure to, to, the, to the impact some of these things have. Um, but then when you get to like more of our capstone courses, um, which, you know, are, are juniors and seniors and probably mostly seniors, um, full of students who are, are planning to go to college and major in computer science and have future software careers, I think then it becomes more important because you know, I share with them, you're going to be sitting at the table um, and look at all these things we've studied. And, and no one apparently said anything loud enough to, to make a change. Um, I want you to be the person that speaks up and goes, you know, wait a minute. Um, maybe, maybe we should train our algorithm on something other than white male faces if we expect to use it in the world, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I try to instill upon them that, you know, you're, if you're pursuing this as a career, as a major, you have a responsibility to the rest of us to raise these issues. Um, and... Uh, I think a lot of those issues are being raised, but but as you say, you know, it's certainly not certainly not universal. Yeah, that that just seems to be, uh, I mean, problematic is putting it lightly, but it, I almost kind of wonder if 
the, the forces within capitalism just as a system are going to be so great that there's only so much you can do. Um, you know, I, I imagine there are probably case studies in other fields. Uh, I, for whatever reason, I think the auto industry comes to mind in terms of, you know, is it is is creating automobiles for everybody to own really ethical? I mean, it, it certainly is not environmentally sound. I think that that that's pretty much settled. But here we are, and this is we're trying to kind of live with that. Um, and obviously, there are benefits with cars. But you know, same thing with AI, though. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of debates and, and um, conversations, if not you know, arguments about whether or not we should even have it. Uh, and I think that they're they're worthwhile conversations to have. I think that Mike and I kind of tend to defer to the point of like, well, here it is. So like, it's not going. We know it's not going to go away. Um, so how do we just try to kind of essentially kind of make the best of it? Um, and, and and recognize that there's a lot of great stuff that comes with it too. It's not all bad. And I think that there's it's it's a it's kind of a, 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 a kitchen sink or like a mixed bag of of, of offerings. And and obviously humans are going to do what they do, which is a little bit of everything, good, bad, and indifferent. Um, but uh, but obviously as educators, it seems to me that we try to, and, and the public kind of holds us up to, I think, maybe wrong, but I think a higher standard in terms of ethics and morality that we're trying to kind of help uh, cultivate uh, some of that thoughtfulness that you're trying to do in your classroom, which I think is uh, yeah, certainly good to hear. It, I, I, I do kind of wonder to what extent um, you think that, say, you know, comp sci, if I could sound cool like you and Mike, a little bit, um, kid, you know, how, how is it that maybe these conversations can, can be brought to say administration or school boards, that sort of thing. So you could start thinking about policy a little bit more, um, uh, robustly, right? Cause you talked about how you want your, uh, a variety of voices, linguists and what have you within, you know, this field of AI or, or that open AI hires these people. Well, what about at local school board meetings or what about, you know, uh, within a district, you know, that we're, we're going to set policy with, with AI, like we should. I would think want to have a, a variety of, of voices here. I don't know if you can think about or speak to maybe policy and, and how maybe that kind of. Yeah, I think the track record on policy isn't isn't great um, from the local level all the way up to the national level. Um, I think a lot of times there's there's just this history of really kind of lagging behind and understanding. Um, you you watch or read the transcripts of some of these hearings, and you're just like, wow, like. They they don't really know what's going on. And they don't understand the issues at, at work here, um, mm -hmm. and so how are they going to write effective legislation to do that, right? And and I think you know similar things can happen all the way down to a local school board, right? Um, for a lot of this stuff, like everyone's just trying to figure it out, right? Um, and so I, I think the policy stuff is kind of hard. Um, so I'm not so sure about the policy side of things, but I think more on like individual classroom perspective and help teachers helping teachers. Um, you know, we we figured out how to help students like use search engines and appreciate that there's some good stuff out there and there's a lot of garbage out there. Um, mm -hmm. They have to know the difference. Um, and so, you know, we we have some experience with similar things like this. I think um, mm -hmm. that that can help as we try to guide students in this with these new tools. Yeah, that that seems yeah. like a reasonable sort of analogy uh, to just reference the search engine. So I appreciate that. I'm sorry, Mike. You know the. Um, well, policy always comes after the fact. Policies also are mm -hmm. always a response to something happens. They're like, oh, now we need a policy. And so they're always, always like that. And I, I was thinking, um, Joff, when you were talking about like, you know, when you're teaching, you know, when you're writing code in your classroom, you know, I asked my students to think about like, well, who might this affect, right? And, and this or that. And, and then I started thinking, boy, you know, you, your class is talking about ethics 
some level. English classes just kind of do tacitly because the, the stuff we read, history, because you're kind of getting a view of like, here's what different systems do. And I, I just wondered, I keep on coming back to this conversation with Pat when we're not on this podcast, but I just feel like maybe we're just doing the wrong standards in school. Like maybe like, like we have social emotional learning standards, we have common core standards, but no, nowhere is there anything about ethics and like a concerted effort to teach. This is, this is what ethics is. And here's different ways of thinking, you know, like you, you don't get that till college. You don't get different philosophical ideas of ethics. And I just wonder if that wouldn't be a better approach, even at the high school is that you start getting some ethical instruction. So you understand, so you don't have to have a academic integrity code, right. Or a, a plagiarism policy. It's just like, well, that's not ethical. Like you, right. In, in any of these systems that we teach and you understand the, that behavior is not ethical. And that it seems like a, a more, a simpler solution than, than policy. Um, and then I, and then I was thinking a bit, Jeff, about like, man, should English teachers talk to the comp side teachers a lot more? Because we're both writing and, and you're, you're generating output and we're generating output. And now we have stuff that, that auto, automatically generates output. And I mean, what, what, a, what a marriage, like that would just be really interesting co-curricular type thing. Um, what, what do you think? What do you think, guys? Ethics, school? I think if students have a strong appreciation from an ethical perspective, then you don't have to like have policies for everything, right? Like you were saying, it simplifies so much. Um, I, I think that requires a certain level of maturity. Um, and, and I think maybe not all students are quite there yet, um, but are working towards it, I hope. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's why it shows up more in, in the college courses and stuff. But uh, it seems like it certainly should play a role um, at, at the high school. Um, there, there's, you know, at our school, you know, we have we have a strong computer science pathway, which is wonderful. But there's also a lot of programs out there that really to get computer science across the curriculum. Um, so, you know, what does computer science look like in an English class? What does computer science look like in a math class, an art class? Yeah. Right. Um, and and I think that's a, a huge upper opportunity there. Um, I, I think we are now like English teachers are now like like many comp sci people because. We are now writing code with natural language. Isn't that kind of it? Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, as the, as programming languages get better and better and, and think about the, I, I know you two have spoken previously about uh, the, the, the art of writing, you know, prompts, right? Like how do you get yeah. out what you want? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I said that right or use the right terms, that but um, right. that's, that's kind of like specifying a programming language, right? It's just a, it's just perhaps a little bit higher level, but there's things that need to be there. And so, uh, you know, how do you craft that to get the output you want? Uh, there's a lot of similarities there, I think. Yeah. You know, it's, it occurs to me, Mike, real quick, because you brought up the ethics and like the idea of the ethics class. I think in theory, it sounds great. And I think the way you pitched it makes total sense. There's a part of me, though, that recognizes that the culture that we have is incredibly sensitive to the idea of teaching ethics or teaching morals for that matter which is to say that I think you can, like, it's one thing to say, well, we're going to have a class where I talk about different ways to think about ethics. And another one to say, well, I'm going to teach you ethics because I think that say that you're teaching somebody ethics, people get very touchy about, well, it's my kid. Uh, and, you know, who, and I don't want you to quote unquote indoctrinate whatever that's supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a very politicized sort of kind of 
uh, it could become politicized very easily, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So uh, I think that the conversations are worthwhile. I think they're they're valuable, but it's, but I also recognize too, that I think that'd be a pretty big minefield for, I like teachers navigate a lot of minefields as it is these days. I think that would kind of ratchet it up even more because some somebody somewhere would be like, oh, you're trying to teach my kid this, that, or the other. It's like, well, we're just trying to get him to think. <laughs> like you can think what you want, but like, but at least know right. how to think. Um, and it's a subtle difference, but I think it's one that's oftentimes, um, you know, uh, ignored, I suppose, or misunderstood or, or not even understood at all. Yeah, I, I guess maybe if people had ethical training in high school, then we wouldn't have that conversation now. So it's a catch-22. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's assuming that, that's, that, the, yeah, that the training is valid. I mean, that it's I good know, enough, right? right? Or, I, I know what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> It's tricky. We're a goofy country. The, the, other, the other snarky thing I was going to say is, well, what you do to do ethics training is that you do a big, massive national test and you have <laughs> every state sign on to like common core ethical standards and then you'd make everyone do it. And then, and then, yeah. and then we get that sense. And um, then, yeah. And then, and then it was called a commie. And then you have those. Right. Cause yeah. You know, conversations that are just overplayed and just <clears throat> wrong or whatever. But yeah. What you do? Uh, so let me shift this a little bit. So, yeah. Um, Joff, can you maybe talk about GitHub and Copilot? Um, and I and I asked that because there might be some people that listen to this podcast that have heard Microsoft and people starting to use a language about a Copilot for like your docs. And I suspect because it isn't isn't Copilot isn't that a Microsoft thing or is it not? So so Microsoft owns GitHub. Okay. Um, and GitHub has a a feature called Copilot. Okay. Um, and so Copilot, um, it, it came out, I think, a couple of years ago, um, maybe not quite, but um, I didn't really become familiar with it until it became available to students. Um, and then shortly thereafter uh, to verified educators, which was great. So we could see what the students were doing. Um, but um, that was just this past fall. And so Copilot is, it's, it's like, built on the same foundation as like chat GPT, um, but with a twist to focus on programming languages and taking input in the context of a program and then suggesting what code would fulfill whatever it is you're trying to accomplish based on the rest of the context of, of the code. Um, is it a split screen? Like, could you describe it since no one can see this podcast? Yeah. Um, so I guess it, it shows up in a couple of ways. Um, if you have like, so in, in code, and when, we're, when you're programming, you have the code that the computer is going to actually execute. And then you also have notes to yourself and others um, that explains what it is going to do, these comments that you put in. Um, and so Copilot can look at your comment um, and parse that, um, much like ChatGPT would in terms of like, hey, what's going to come next in this, 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 whatever this thing is I'm writing, um, and say, suggest a chunk of code. Um, and it could be like, hey, here's something that I believe does what your comment says you're looking for. You can get like a whole chunk of it. Um, so it kind of like pops up right where you're typing your code. Oh, um, and okay. you can very quickly, without even like, you know, using the trackpad or your mouse or anything, you can just like be like, yep, that looks good. And just arrow, click, done. Um, and it all pops in. Um, it also, so it's always running. It's not something you have to prompt. So you can just be writing code. And based on what you've written, it could be like, Oh, I know where you're headed. How about I finish this for you? Um, and you're just like, yep, that's what I was thinking. And click and off you go. Um, so it's, I think it's a little bit different than some of the other ways people might have used ChatGPT because it's always there. Um, 
Right. Always running. Is it running in the background all the time and processing what you're, you're okay. Exactly. So, yeah. so the, there's a program called pseudo write that you can like do, do as a plugin for Google, or you can go to their, their site. It's for writing fiction, but you can, so you can highlight like part of a paragraph or an entire paragraph. And then there's like tabs on top and you can like ask it for a different description, like through any of the senses or to, or to extend it or keep on going. So it's always running. Um, so it's not it's not quite like the GitHub one. And then, have have you looked at the new Bing and like like on a computer? Have you have you played with that at all? No, I've looked at Bard a little bit, but not the, okay. The Bing yeah, part. so yeah. so Bing is like literally if you if you've got your computer open, you've got your main page, like say it's two thirds of the screen, and then the other third is Bing, and it has these tools, so it can it can refer to the document you have open. It's supposed to be able to read PDFs, but that doesn't work very well so far for me. And then, so if you have got, if you've got like a, a document open up and you're trying to compose it, you've got chat GPT for tools in the other pane. So they're both open at the same time, like a two thirds, one third split screen, basically. And so if you want to make a list or a blog topic or write an email or a search thing, it's right there. And then you can just literally copy and paste. So it's, I, I, I've been wondering if, if GitHub and Copilot look like that, but it doesn't sound like it at all. Yeah. More embedded. Yeah, so it's okay. in a way almost less distracting. You can just, so I guess another feature that we've had for some time is we've had what we call language servers um, that we use when programming, um, which is more of like an auto-completion. Like, I bet you want this method and this method has these parameters. So let me fill this all in for you and you just kind of fill in the details. So we, right. I would say we're accustomed to that type of an interface. And so um, these new tools, uh, just kind of build on that. So it's a very familiar approach. It's just much more powerful. There wouldn't be anything stopping Microsoft, Google, whoever, from doing that same thing that when you're typing, it may be like super clippy, right? Like the old Microsoft program where you'd start <laughs> writing a sentence and it would say, it looks like you're doing this and fill in the rest. But yeah. I, I, I guess probably the problem with that is that when you're doing code, you've got all these libraries and then what um, forgot the other word for it that it can access because you're on GitHub, right? So it's kind of already plugged in. Whereas if you're just right. writing a, a text, it's got it's got to like look at all of the billions of you know text and then figure out which however OpenAI organized it, right? To, but but we could get there. Like you could have just, just like a co-pilot for writing a specific type thing, like kind of pseudo writes for fiction. And then it could literally pop up and auto populate, populate entire paragraphs or, oh man. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how, how the user interface design of these tools evolves. Right. And, and what, what people find are um, not too intrusive, but easy, easy to adapt and use. And I mean, you want something that doesn't get in the way of, that creative process of writing, right? But is uh, easy to take advantage of. So, when you say take advantage of, like, is that? I, I don't know if maybe I'm misunderstanding the way you think of it, but like, I I wonder if maybe some of our listeners might hear that and think, well, does that you say to take advantage of this? Mean, does it include like cheating or somehow having things populate and just kind of saying, well, that's my work, but it's not. They didn't write it; it just kind of auto-populated. I mean, it. it how do I guess from your standpoint as a CompSci teacher, how does, I don't know, do you read it differently? Do you just kind of see that situation or see that a little bit differently or no? I think I see it differently in different classes. Um, okay. So like in my AP computer science class, 
Um, part of it is to understand the syntax of the programming language and how the different parts go together. And if you don't have that syntactical understanding, it's hard to build that semantic understanding of like, what does this mean altogether? And so what does this code do? Um, and if they don't have that foundation, you know, if, if Copilot pops something up, they don't really have, have what they need to know. Like, well, I don't know if that's good or right. I mean, they could just blindly click on it and you can end up with some really weird stuff, right? Um, it just might not even compile, let alone even run. Um, and so I think like in that class, um, this isn't a useful tool because we're, we're focused more on those fundamentals and basics. Um, and, and that could change over time, right? Like, like we said at the beginning of all this, you know, we, 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 you know, students don't learn assembly language much. You know, you might have a class right. in college perhaps. And, and so things will certainly change. Um, in my software engineering class, um, even though Copilot could totally write some of these data structures, we still write them by hand. And I think students are willing to do that because they bought into... We've, we've built that relationship and have that understanding of, yes, I know a tool can do this for me, but if I go through the hard work of struggling with this, I know I'm going to have a better, deeper understanding and can use these tools more effectively. So I'm willing to invest that effort. Uh, but when we get to our second semester and we're working on projects, I tell every student, hey, sign up for this thing, turn it on. Um, your goal here is to, to complete this project as a team and you're going to use every tool at your disposal to do it. Right. Um, but, but by that uh, point, they have some of those fundamentals so they can kind of lean on that knowledge. It seems to me that's similar to like in our discipline, it might be some of the, um, kind of understanding how sentence structure works, maybe understanding, uh, you know, how do metaphors function? Like how do we even create them? Right. Um, maybe even yeah. some content knowledge might be helpful there. Uh, cause I, I appreciate how you're uh, uh, acknowledging that maybe different fields or different, different disciplines might have to approach it a little bit differently or, or within the confines of their kind of discipline. Um, that makes sense. Am I kind of understanding? Does it, does it seem like I'm understanding yeah, what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. okay. No, that's exactly what I'm thinking. So I think it's, you know, I mean, this shouldn't be shocking to us as educators, right? So like everyone's got to find what makes sense for, for their students <laughs> at that moment in time, right. with the resources right. they have available um, mm -hmm. to, to, to achieve what you're trying to do. So it's, yeah. no, I it's appreciate a, that, Kevin. It, it's a coherence issue. Like if, if they start using the tool too quickly and they don't understand the code it outputs, you said it may not even work or it might do funny things. That sounds a lot like a kid trying to write an essay and they don't quite have control of the material and it's, it's not coherent. And you're like, this doesn't make sense. You have to, you have to think about this more. And it, you're, you're also providing, I think, a useful model for people who teach languages, like not computer languages, but for us to go to move forward in that maybe some of the tools like you don't use in you know composition one because you're learning to compose like so you see so you have software engineering one right so it's like we're actually going to learn these things first and then once you know them then you can use the tool because then you're, you're then you're at the point to assess um whether or not what you just did was is going to work right or not so that's interesting um maybe it could be like you don't do digital writing until like sophomore year or junior year or, or different variations of that. Um, huh, interesting. I think, I think there's a lot to be discussed between um, teaching English and writing and probably computer science. I think there's a lot. Um, wow. Actually, you know what? You and Pat, before we started, we're talking, Pat was starting to talk about critical thinking. And so it kind of pops up like, you know, AI and critical thinking, like, 
some people are like, this is the end of critical thinking. And so maybe Pat, could you kind of talk about that a little bit and then see, see what Josh thinks? Yeah, I think just, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Mike talking, Mike, Mike and I talk, I can't talk, <laughs> Mike and I Mike and myself talking. Good Lord. It's a Friday, isn't it? End of the it's, year. It's, it's, because you use, it's because you use AI, Pat, right there. It, it is. You it's actually even my talk. chat bot. It's failing. It's hallucinating right, right now. You started happening. using that whisper app. Holy moly. Um, <laughs> no. Okay. So Mike and I have obviously had conversations, but certainly with conversations with other colleagues, whether it's in our school or in other schools, whatever, other districts. Um, and, but then also even online, uh, you know, I had a conversation with somebody uh, just on the good old Facebook because I'm old apparently, um, and you know th- there, this whole conversation about creativity or excuse me, critical thinking came up, and the this one person said, well, you know if they're using you know ChatGPT then they're not critically thinking, and and my first thought was, no, that's just not true. I said, you know, it, obviously if you just say write me an essay on whatever, then fine, okay then it's kind of spitting out to you. And in that regard, you're not using critical thinking. And I would, I would actually wholeheartedly agree with that. However, there are so, when I tried to explain to the person, I said, look, I said, go ahead and like have it like write a play. But like, as you think through it, there's so many different things you have to take into account, right? Like character, setting, mood. Um, you know, are there certain kind of like problems or lessons or issues that you want to come up, uh, have come up? Um, you know, and, and, then, and then I'm just going to have them perform. And I said, look, there are, all these different choices that, yeah, the AI can give you a script that's all fine and well, but you're assuming the script is one that they're going to want. You're assuming it's one that they're going to like, and they're not going to want to change or tweak or whatever. And and they're wrestling with that right now. And it's been fun to see them like super engaged because like, oh man, look what it can do. But they're like, oh, but that sounds lame or that just sounds unrealistic or that's cheesy or whatever. Um, and I'm like, you're right. That's oftentimes the case. I Because I the sample I gave them had a cliche ending. I'm like, oh, it was actually pretty good. And then it hit the end. I'm like, eh. You know, I just didn't really resonate. Um, and then there's the performance end, which is like its own thing where they have to kind of make choices and what have you. I guess, you know, when it comes to AI, any sort of AI programming, do you, I, I, from your vantage point within maybe your wheelhouse or beyond, if you want to comment on that too, but where do you see creativity in, in, in this conversation? Because obviously, Mike and I are realizing, at least within English, like ultimately what we want them to do is critically think. And it can come about in a variety of different ways, but um, I, I guess I'm I'm more inclined to look at it and say, yeah, I guess it could hinder it, I suppose. But there are so many possibilities that it just seems like it just it, it begs so many other new questions that maybe we haven't had before. So I don't I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think I think we experience the same type of thing in computer science and programming classes. Um, what it really comes down to is kind of the type of the assignment or the type of the assessment, right? There are certainly things out there that you can throw into chat GPT um, or you can just give to co-pilot and it will crank it out and you're done. And, and, and that's fine. Um, and, and so I, you know, that's certainly a challenge. What I, what I guess what I value more um, is I see these tools as let, giving students more time, assuming they have a foundation to make, to have that foundation for the critical thinking and the creativity, but these tools give them more of that opportunity, right? If I don't have to worry about some of these like low level basic stuff, I can focus more on exploring how computer science can be a creative personal expression, or I can focus more on how computer science can help me analyze data in ways that gives me insights into problems I wouldn't otherwise have. Um, Or I can, focus more on building something that this person wants and will make their life better. Um, 
And so that's, that's really the role I see, but, and that works if they have like the background to know like, Oh, these are good choices. Like you were talking about the play, right? This sounds good. This doesn't sound good. This is a good way to take it and work through that. So, you know, I, I don't want my students to spend, you know, all this time chasing like, Oh, I forgot to put a semicolon at the end of this line right. of code. And I just spent right. five minutes yeah. looking at this and banging my head against the keyboard. Um, that's not the computer science experience they want, right? And and I hope these tools get to the point where where not only can they write, you know, code for us and help us do these things, but they can also help us in the rest of the software development process. Um, and Replit has done some work with this with with their models, um, Ghostwriter. Um, hey, this code doesn't work. I think you're trying to do this. You know, mm-hmm. how about we fix it like that? Um, right, and giving like, oh yeah, so like solutions or possible yeah. solutions. To Feedback. Like better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is what the so right thing does that Mike was talking about, yeah. So I don't know. I think it makes it, I think it makes, opens the door for educators to do even more creative work, mm-hmm. more critical thinking work. But again, it's up to us to, to figure out how to use these right. things to enable that, right? Yeah, I appreciate how you said that, just that the, the assessment or the, the way we approach is really what's going to make the difference there. Uh, that's what's well said. Well, all right, gentlemen, that was um, super interesting. Um, that was actually really fascinating uh, just on my end, just, just kind of seeing the relations between computer science and writing and, and coding and, um, and how kind of what seems to be going on with writing has kind of already happened in computer science and, and in your world did not implode. Um, the policy stuff, the ethics things, um, and then the whole critical thinking. Um, that's super interesting. Uh, Jeff, thank you for coming on our show. And Pat, as always, thanks for being a super awesome. Um, that's it for today. Uh, have a good day. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> well, all right, all right. That's the Pop Brothers AI for Educators. Season one, episode nine. If you like this show, if you think this show is even slightly interesting, give us a bunch of stars, follow us, like us, share us with your friends, or share us with someone interested in AI or education. Got an idea or comment? You can tweet us at, at the Bot Brothers. You can Gmail us at the Bot Brothers AI at gmail.com. There is even a Facebook group now that Pat runs, the Bot Brothers AI for Educators, on the Facebook. If you know anyone interested or interesting, please have them contact us and hop on the show. If you want to get in contact with Josh Schmidt, he's on Twitter and Mastodon at GCSHMIT. As usual, in the episode notes, there's a link for First Robotics. Also, PseudoWrite, if you haven't checked out that program, it's linked there too. All right, next time, have a good one. Bye, bro. Bye, bro.